The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live, turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. It's nine minutes after eight. Uh, thank you so much for listening to AM Live this morning and time now for the Forum at Eight. In October last year, the Supreme Court of Appeal found that governing bodies do not have absolute powers over a school's admissions policy and capacity in Gauteng. Now, this includes the powers of governing bodies to determine schools' feeder zones. And for a clearer interpretation of the law, the Federation of uh, Governing Bodies of South African Schools is now challenging that ruling in the Constitutional Court. Fetzers argues uh, that the department is interfering with its powers and uh, that regulations imposed by the Gauteng Education Department unfairly restricts their powers to formulate admission policy of schools. Fetzers wants the interim arrangement to be subject to time limits and to guarantee their input. But the Gauteng Department of Education argues that the regulations are above board and that it must have the final say over admissions policy at government schools. What are your views on this? We're asking this morning, you know, uh, what your take is on this. And it's that sort of season, isn't it? People are registering their children at schools. And uh, maybe you have come to view this in a different light. Where should the power lie? Should it be with the school governing body to determine um, that admissions policy? Should the department be able to come in and intervene and have the final say on this matter? Do let us know what your view is. 089 Nine one one zero four two zero eight SMSs to three four seven zero one. Tweet or Facebook AM Live on SAFM hashtag forum at eight. Now um, we are asking also um, that you please, uh, you know, keep it short and sharp because I suspect many people want to come through on this issue. There are questions, of course, also about admissions. I know some of you will want to relate those personal stories. Um, we're not excluding them, but maybe let's just get to the point of it uh, much quicker. And uh, uh, the MEC for uh, Education and Gauteng, Panyazele Sufi, is here with us. Thanks for coming through, MEC. Thank you so much, Sakina. Are you well? I'm very well, thanks. And um, we have also on the line uh, Dr. Kruta Yako Deacon, who is a Deputy CEO of <coughs> FEDSAS, which is the national body representing school governing bodies. Thanks for your time as well. Fantastic. Morning, Sakina. Morning, Mr. Lusufi. Morning, Jack. Are you well? I'm well. I'm well. You still owe me that hunting trip, eh? Oh, we'll do, sir. We'll yeah. do, sir. Hey, hunting trips aside, uh, let's get to the <laughs> admissions policies. Well, uh, the Supreme Court of Appeal held that the Education Department has the final say, uh, but that these powers need to be exercised reasonably. So I want to get from you first, uh, Dr. Deacon. What What is your um, your view on this matter? Are you happy with that? Clearly not, because you've taken it on appeal uh, to a higher court. But where do you think the power should actually lie? Yeah, Sakina, so, so maybe maybe just as a point of departure, in your in- introduction you mentioned uh, that we've got state schools. We don't have any state schools in our country. We've got public schools. And there's a big difference between a state school and a public school. A public school, in essence, belongs to that school community. It's a separate legal entity governed. It belongs to itself, and it's governed by the governing body. Now, the regulations that's in dispute came from 2012. It was published by the then MEC for Education, Barbara Creasy. And the admissions policy is nearly one of the issues we've got with the regulations. 
our main concern is about the legality, uh, the right of the MEC to make regulations, which we believe is contrary to what is stated in some sections of the Schools Act, and obviously the final say on admissions, on language policy and capacity is also in dispute. So it's not only who's got the final say. And to a certain extent, we can relate to what the, what the Supreme Court of Appeal said in the final say, because both the school as well as the department get a constitutional obligation. So where schools have the capacity to take more learners, then there must be a meaningful engagement between the Department of Education and the governing body to, to see whether they can accommodate more learners. And that's also in line with the Constitutional Court ruling in the Armelua matter a few years ago and Trevonia three years ago. Mr. Lesufi? Thanks, thanks, thanks <clears throat> Let me make it simple to our listeners. Our approach is very simple. It's to say schools belong to all of us and that there must be no single individual that is denied the right to access any school on the basis of things that are not within the law. And let me put those particular things. For example, people will be requested to either produce uh, salary advices or salary slips. People will be requested uh, to produce uh, proof of address uh, and in some instances uh, uh, criminalize them because of family relations. You find that the child is not appropriately allocated to a certain parent, but the parent works within a certain area and therefore they want their children to be part of that particular school and the governing body will refuse. Thirdly, which is very, very important, is the issue of funds. You know, On the basis that you don't have money, you could not access certain schools. Uh, and we believe that uh, that is unfortunate if school governing bodies will take that particular harsh stance. So our argument is very clear. Yes, school governing bodies assist us administratively to ensure that you place children there. But if there are children that you can't place, explain to the department, because education is a constitutional right. There must be no child that is excluded on the basis that there is no uh, accommodation to accommodate that particular child. Bring that information to us, because the act is very clear. The ultimate person who will have to make that particular decision is the HOD, because he has a bad eye view uh, to say, yes, here there's overcrowding, but there there's no overcrowding, so that he can move uh, or learn us to a, a school that there's no overcrowding. So our argument is very clear. Don't use uh, uh, things that will exclude people purely on the basis of their color of the skin, on the basis of language, on the basis of resources, or on the basis that those particular people are born in the wrong area. Uh, uh, we believe that education must be affordable and education must be accessible to those that can make a choice. Here, people want to remove the right to choose. Uh, so if I have, <laughs> I want my child to go to this specific school because I know this is the best school, I know this school performs and other things. People want to exclude you to say, we can't do that on the basis of all other things that I've alluded to. Yes, we have to declare feeder zone. Yes, we need to declare whether uh, uh, learners qualify to be in that particular school to manage uh, 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 movements, to manage other related matters. But in the ultimate end, my view is simple. Allow choice, but upgrade where uh, people vote with their fists to say there's no quality education in this area. It's my responsibility as the MEC responsible for education to ensure that we level the playing field uh, will ensure that quality education is available uh, at all places. You can see, even from the launch of our new school in Soweto yesterday, that we are trying to give 
a major facelift of township education so that we don't have this struggle uh, where people have to deal with these particular issues that we are facing. So our approach is very simple. Yes, SGP plays a meaningful role, a very important role uh, in assisting us to, uh, to manage this process, but they must not introduce rules that are not within the rule book. Because if you introduce new rules that are not within the rule book, then we have the right to go and protect those parents that want their children to be in those schools. Are you satisfied with that, uh, Dr. Deacon? Uh, because um, in response to that, I also want you to factor in the, uh, the issue of uh, feeder zones that the MEC has touched on. Because this is you know, what some people are critical of, these feeder zones as it stands. Because this allows the perpetuation of socioeconomic inequalities in our society. That's all right. Because if I live in a certain area that is far from the better schools, and, and unfortunately our schools are rated because there are better schools than others and um, therefore if you live further away from a better cluster of schools it means that your child will perpetually uh, find themselves at the bottom rung of society that's all right and that's the issue that you're saying together with the sgps and i don't want to exclude the ability to persuade but we've been persuading for the last 22 years uh, to say let's ensure that you don't discriminate people on the basis of their right to choose because if people make choices, they make choices purely because either they can afford or they believe that that's where quality education is. And that's what democracy is all about, so that people can be given that right to choose. But we have people here who believe need to be gatekeepers. Uh, uh, I don't know for what reason. Uh, they are believe you saying that, the governing uh, bodies uh, are behaving as gatekeepers? It's just that we've got so many governing bodies and they have different policies and principles. And I have to work with all of them and they are diverse. And sometimes I feel that uh, the sooner they become one body or they work together and we understand where they stand, it makes things easier. Because you find an, ex- an extreme governing body and you find another a, a, a governing body that is very conservative and you find others in the middle. And in the ultimate end, I have to liaise with all of them and meet their own demands. And it makes things very difficult. But I'm saying South Africa belongs to all who live in it. Our schools are public entities. Let's ensure that everyone who want to be part of these public entities is allowed to be in those particular schools. But the rules that we need to execute that allow people to be part of those final uh, lists must be rules that don't discriminate on the basis of language, on the basis of your fund, on the basis of your color. And if we can do that, I really believe that we've got a, a, a mechanism that will allow us to have a functional education system in our province. Dr. Deacon? So, Kino, thank you. I think we're in agreement with the MEC um, on, on a number of matters. Um, it's clear that schools cannot unfairly discriminate. Uh, finances of the parents should never, ever be a factor. As we're on record, we don't dispute that. In fact, we promote that in our member schools. We promote that in our training on unfair discrimination. We're also on the same page. But the problem is, if you've got a few bad apples in the box, you cannot throw out the whole box. In terms of the Schools Act, if the department is aware of a governing body that's using those criteria who unfairly discriminates, in terms of the Schools Act, they can act. They can act against that specific school and governing body and take action. There's no need, because of a few bad apples, and we need proof of those as well, to remove the whole power from school governing bodies because of a few violations. The Schools Act makes provision for the head of department to deal with those governing bodies, if you're aware. If you go through admissions procedure and your child is not admitted, the Act makes provision for an appeal process. So 
So then those appeals can go directly to the office of the MEC, and he can overrule the governing body at that stage. So on, on the criteria, on the legality, we've got mechanisms in place. If we are aware of our member schools violating those specific sections in the Schools Act, we will take action. So we don't want to protect illegal action. If we get to the feeder zones, I think there are two important things to remember. The first one is that we've got a very unique problem to a certain extent in Gauteng, where you've got the economic hub and people are flocking to Gauteng, not only from South Africa and other provinces, but from all over Africa. So there's a huge demand for schools in the province. So to a certain extent, I feel for Mr. Lusufi, because of the success of the province, there's an influx. But that was foreseeable. So the fact that they've started to open schools now, the fact that there's brilliant upgrades in what Mr. Lusufi called the township schools, I mean, that's supportable. I saw the schools, I saw the aviation project, and that will alleviate, but we need more of those schools. So there's an influx on the one side. On the other side, it's not only about numbers. Um, it's about a quality of education that will take place within those schools. Now, if you create feeder zones, like we have in the regulations now, where parents can enroll only in a five-kilometer radius of a school, that take away the right of the parent to choose the best school for his or her child. If, if it's about vocational training, if I want my child to be in that school where they can learn about aviation, in terms of the current regulations as it stands, I won't have the right to choose that. And I think that's the concern from our side, is that you take away the right of the parent to choose but the dilemma is not only the number of schools and the influx of people, but the quality of education that's not happening in all the schools. And if we can address that, then this problem, the interim problem, will disappear. And hopefully this is only an interim problem. We will address the quality, and then the, the feeder zones can disappear in the future. So we've touched on the issue of feeder zones. I just want to very quickly, because the calls are already there, touch on the issue of um, uh, affordability and another point of contention, which has to do with those confidential reports that are requested on learners. Because these are also seen as tools that school governing bodies use to discriminate against people, whether rightly or wrongly. What's been your take on that, uh, Dr. Deacon? Well, I mean, that was part of the argument in the Constitutional Court, and one of the examples used was special education. Um, you need certain information on children to decide on what's the best interest of the child. Is this really the school? Should the child be mainstream, or should the child go to special education on, on the one side to assess the best interest of the learner? And number two, part of the argument was also what's the best interest of the school? As a governing body, you'll stand in a position of trust towards that school and school community. So we argue that part of the admission should be to gather enough information on the learner in order to protect the best interest of the school as well. For example, if the child was uh, involved in uh, violence and violent crimes, uh, that might infringe on the rights of the learners already in the school and might compromise the quality of education in that regard. Um, but the moment it's unfair or the parents feel it's unfair, the governing body didn't consider it properly or they abused their power to use the information, 
then at that stage they can appeal to the MEC and then the MEC can take a decision in that regard. MEC? Uh, you know, the issue of feeder zone to me remains a transitional system. I, I, really, I really don't believe <laughs> the current setup of our education system is correct. Uh, and that is why I've, I've established a, a team, I call it reorganization of uh, schools. Uh, we need to reorganize our schools. Our schools are still based on things that I really believe that we've overcome. For example, apartheid planning meant there must be a school for Zulus, Pedis, Tosas. Uh, in one area, you have five different schools that are differentiated on the basis of language. So if they've got a shortage of water, all of them don't have water. Uh, so, so we need to kill that aspect because apartheid, unfortunately, it was about geography and excellence. Uh, you know, the good uh, 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 people at that time were given proper facilities. The bad, if I have to use that word, were given poor facilities. So we need to integrate uh, so that there's no school that it caters exclusively for a certain race or exclusively for a certain language. We can have both race and language at the same school. That's my argument. So we need to therefore move towards that uh, uh, direction. So in the interim, you've got a feeder system. But that feeder system is abused because you find that a certain primary school feeds only to a certain high school. Mm. So it closes out any other person that comes outside <laughs> that particular primary school. We have admissions annually. You go to some schools, they can tell you they are full up until 2018. So you ask yourself, how come when we have this process annually? You've got learners now that comes from our uh, a continent, that comes from Africa, that comes from other areas. Those particular people are going through difficulties and they've got the right to go through our schools. I have to manage that aspect as well. So the feeder zone was just a transitional mechanism. And I, I was taken aback at the court, uh, at the constitutional court when the issue of learners with disability or issue of learners uh, with special needs was used to justify these confidential reports. And I can show you, Sakina, some of those confidential reports. People are going to, what do you call these people when you check whether you can pay your account ITC. or not? They go to ITC. <laughs> uh, uh, people are requesting parents uh, 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 to, to provide their salary advices. Nowhere, nowhere in our act that it requires parents to say, give us your salary advice. But also the attitude, the attitude of human element. You know, there are some schools, even when you enter the school, before you even get the form, uh, uh, the PA there or reception is there makes you unwelcome. You know, mm. we need to remove that element. You know, they will tell you, you'll never be admitted in this school. Before you even fill a form, you are already told that you cannot be admitted in this school. So we need to manage these things. If we can't, we're not going to be a nation that we want to be. Remember, education is the only powerful tool that we have to break poverty and to build an unracial society. If that education perpetuates poverty and perpetuates racism, then we are lost. We're in the wrong game. We should play somewhere. So we're looking at the balance of power between school governing bodies and the Department of Education on the Forum at 8. Let's just squeeze in a quick call. Anonymous in Pretoria, good morning. Hello, good morning. I'd like to remain anonymous. I'd like to raise two queries to Mr. Lusufi. Uh, the first is um, in Pretoria. Um, obviously, there are one or two schools with very high school fees, and I believe this is a barrier of entry to parents who cannot afford the school fees and ends. The schools are governed only to attract kids of affluent parents to be able to get to the school. The, the second point I'd like to raise to Mr. Lusufi to investigate is, is schools in Pretoria. It's now 24 years, and, and schools in Pretoria 
uh, transformed in terms of pupil ratio, but educators and management at schools uh, have not transformed yet. And, it, and it's, it's a unique technique that the SGB have of protecting this and perpetuating this. You'd look at the, the educated ratio is not transformed at all. And, and you have the unique situation where PAs, when you have prospective educators wanting to apply, they make you feel unwelcome to say there's no vacancies. But how has this been going on for 24 years? The school, the educative forum has not changed or transformed. So I mm. think that two queries to Mr. to address. While I'd like to end my call and I'd listen on the radio for his feedback. Thank you so much, Anonymous. What we are discussing here on the forum at eight, the balance of power between school governing bodies and the Department of Education. This matter currently in the Constitutional yeah. Court uh, because uh, FETS has, mm-hmm. has applied uh, to have this matter reviewed after the Supreme Court of Appeal found that governing bodies do not have absolute powers over a school's admission policy. So uh, this is what we are discussing in the main. But uh, let me just do the right thing and go to James in Vidbang first because he's been holding for a while. James, thank you so much for your patience. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Madam, with all due respect, I think Mr. Lezouf is a troublemaker. He always has issues with white schools, white schools only. Thank you very much for taking my call. Thank you so much, James. All that patience. And he got straight to the point. <laughs> Appreciate that. Uh, James in Vidbank, uh, our guest this morning, Gauteng uh, Education MEC, Mr. Panyazel Sufi, And uh, on the line to us, uh, Dr. Yaku Deacon, uh, Deputy CEO of FETSAS. Uh, they are a national body representing school governing bodies. That's FETSAS. So um, let me come to the issue of fees first that was raised by Anonymous before the break. We live in a country where we regulate the rate of electricity. Why yeah. are we not regulating school fees? No, I support that view strongly. Uh, I've put a value proposition on it that we need to regulate. Let me tell you why. People are taking advantage of parents. Uh, and then there are many companies that are coming now, and I'm sitting with some of their proposals, and I'm declining majority of them, who believe that this is now a profit-making scheme. You know, And education should be a public good. The mere fact that we had our own difficulties, historically so, and that we could not manage uh, uh, these difficulties beyond 1994, but we are working very hard to, to sort them out, does not, it, it must not create a loophole for people to make money out of the process. Uh, as we say, we are regulating electricity. Why can't we regulate fees? Uh, that before a school can... Inc- because some of the schools, they increase their fees uh, uh, more than 50%, purely because they are using that tool... <laughs> Uh, to exclude other people that can afford and to maintain certain privileges for the few. So we need to work and deal with that aspect. So I know and I agree with our unanimous caller that uh, uh, this is a matter that needs our attention. I know I've, I've already put a, a process in motion to manage it. The second one that your anonymous caller raised was there. You know, you find a school is racially representative. It represents all learners. It represents who we are as South Africans. But go to school management. It represents one race. Uh, go to the name of the school. It reminds us about the past. We can't allow that. We'll never do. I've given all schools in Gauteng until the 30th of September. You change on your own or I'll impose the changes. Because you can't have a school 
where the only black person that the school see or the children see is a tea girl or somebody that is doing the garden. That's the only person that they know of any other color. The rest, the entire school is either white or the entire school is speaking only one language. It can't be 20 years or 22 years after uh, we've obtained our heart and uh, uh, liberation. So we've given schools until the 30th of September. Don't remind us about who H.A. Vervut was. When's the name of the school? Don't remind us who... Chance uh, Mats was, which is the name of the school, because 60% of the population of this country wa- was had before 1994. Why should we remind us about that pain again post-1994? So transformation is a painful thing. We have to go through it so that we can position ourselves as a country to compete with the best. Fortunately now, we are trying to balance the two. We want to compete with the best in the world in terms of our quality education, but at the same time, we have to get rid of things that make things difficult for us, especially admissions to quality education in our uh, in our schools. Let me put this to you from Onati Kwaza. Yeah. She says, has government really acted all these years to concerns about SATU, concerns that have been raised against what happens in schools where the majority of the teachers belong to uh, SATU? Have you? Or are you going for easy <coughs> targets in terms of former Model C schools? Uh, you know, the issue of SADU is a ho-ho that people are utilizing that uh, I really don't agree with it. Uh, for example, we need labor peace. Uh, SADU is not the only unions. Uh, there are almost 18 unions in the province. It's how you manage them. They represent the interest of their workers. I represent the interest of parents and the interest of government. So we need to engage and persuade them. We always do. And it's robust. It's very difficult. I've said it quite clear. In Gauteng, there will be no single post that will be occupied by somebody who does not have the qualification, the commitment, the character of the particular post, and the skill. And they've agreed with me. And we're doing those things. I indicated that performance comes first. If you don't want to perform within the school environment in Gauteng, you can't be in Gauteng. Because if we can't lift up performance, Sakina, if we can't make education to be the solution to the social problems that we have as a country, we are gone. If we are still producing learners that still have to queue for an RTP house, we are gone. We can't sustain that. If we are still producing learners that must go and queue for a social grant, we are gone as a country. The only thing that we have, the main weapon that we have, is education, education, education. So we need to level the playing field. The teacher unions need to be brought on board. Parents need to be brought on board because we need a skills base that can make ourselves, uh, our country to compete. And that's the bottom line. Mm. If you can't increase the skills base and people are just creating uh, a cosmetic uh, things that are blocking the need for us to revolutionize the skill base, then we're in problem. We know, all of us, if we say there's no quality education, we know where it is. The problems are where? In the township. And it involves the poor. It involves majority of our learners. Why do you want to keep them trapped in that poverty strip? Whereas we can broaden that poverty strip and ensure that we share resources, we share teachers, we share uh, 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 the facilities that we have as government. And that's what we need. If we can do that, we'll be in a position to say quality education will happen in our lifetime. People are asking, why aren't you then fixing the schools in the townships? Why aren't you bringing Remember, them up to the same level that uh, schools in the suburbs it's are? It's the decision we took as a country. You can't blame us as government. To build non-racialism was not easy. If people who are accusing us, why didn't you improve township schools, would they have agreed that all those quality educators that were in white areas would have been taken to township schools so that they can teach there? Because that's what we needed. We said because of non-racialism, 
will allow choice to determine whether people want to work with us or not. But after 20 years, you can see that that choice is not working. You need a radical intervention so that those... Because I don't understand why I advertise a post in Soweto for the principal. Why white principals do not apply for that post? Literally, they don't apply. You know, so... But they will accuse you that you are not transforming township schools. Let me tell you, the best maths teacher, if that maths teacher starts to teach our children better in the township, those that have deep pockets, they come and recruit that teacher. So they believe quality belongs to them alone uh, because they've got the deep pockets, they've got the resources, any best teacher that develops out of the township. So they're treating us as a training grounds for them. We must stop that. Mm. So that's the reason why I'm saying transformation need to be broadened, transformation need to be managed, but those that don't love or they don't want to move with transformation, we have to take them to the transformation a, 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 a place where we want them to be because they can see in that space there's non-racialism, there's freedom of choice, and our children will be taught a curriculum that will ensure that all of us are proudly South Africans. Lebu, Rose, Alfred, just hold it there. I just want to give uh, Dr. Deacon a chance to respond to those very issues yeah, of you. fees thank and transformation you. before I go to the lines. Yeah, thank you, Sakina, especially to those accusations made by, uh, my, by the anonymous callers. The moment your admission is refused because of the finances of a parent, you should complain. That is not one of the criteria that should be used. If parents cannot pay, it's not a factor. Even if you're enrolled at the school, if you get admission and you cannot pay the fees, there's national regulations when you can, where you can apply for the exemption of school fees and a governing body must go through the proper process. So finances should never, ever be a factor. The examples used sometimes in the media and by the MEC of extremely high school fees, those are a few schools we're asking those kind of school fees, and I think the department should engage on an individual level. On average, the most expensive school is not situated in Gauteng, both on the high school level and on primary school level. It's, it's situated in other provinces. Gauteng is average in, in that regard. But our concern, and I hear Mr. Dussoufi's concern about integration. If you talk about language and how the department can assist schools, is to have a re-look at the funding model of schools. Um, Mr. Lefisi is requesting African schools to become parallel medium, and I think they will schools that will definitely be willing to consider that and to, to go that way. But the funding model doesn't make provision for parallel medium education. We have got an Afrikaans class, for example, and an English class. I will get 1.1 teachers for two classes. Our point one teacher cannot teach. So therefore, the school must now increase their school fees to a point the point nine teacher to make provision for parallel medium education. So the moment we can sit down with the national department and the province to say, how can we make this affordable to create more parallel medium schools for more integration and more exposure for learners, we need to start with the funding model. How will the department support the schools to do that on the one side? On the other hand, I think it's the matter of transformation is not merely to change a name of the school or to bring a white teacher to form a black school or the other way around, but, but it's to change the culture um, and to make it possible where it's easier to change the culture of a school where you provide quality education. 
that's the, that should be the emphasis, to take our country forward. And I absolutely agree. <coughs> education is our plan A, B, C, and D. But it's quality education. So our focus should be how are we going to provide quality, and then the rest will follow. And how do we transform a culture if we don't uh, uh, transform the makeup of uh, that particular school and who attends it? But hold on to that. I want to take the calls. 891 Levu in Centurion, good morning. Good morning, morning. You know, uh, MEC, I applaud you. You're doing a good job. You have a very difficult uh, uh, um, function. Number one, you need to sort out the black schools. Um, historically, what's called black schools black parents could have a sense of um, um, reliance on taking their kids to black schools, number one. Number two, I don't understand why do you ever get to discuss and allow uh, racists in the form of school governing bodies to dictate to you. That's wrong. We should never, I've never seen a tail working the dog. In fact, the dog works works the tail. How do you get to sit down, listen to these racists who want to protect, for example, Afrikaans as a language to be taught to our kids? I mean, I'm over 40. I fought against Afrikaans. And my kids today are still taught Afrikaans, but they can't be taught in Sepedi. That's wrong. I mean, hello, we're in Africa. If you don't love African languages, perhaps move elsewhere. The fundamental question here, sir, is that this racist, will do everything to exclude a black child. When they ever try to provide Sesotho, Sesul, or Sepedi as a language, they would get a white teacher to teach that language, which is fundamentally flawed, incorrect. The pronunciation, the, the dialect, everything is incorrect. We can't allow racists to rewrite our history books, and we, they must be stopped. The radical change that you must do is to bring these people back online. Whether private, whether uh, uh, public, they need to be uh, put on a straight jacket. Thank you. Thanks. Lebowin Centurion. Rose in Durban, what's your view? Uh, good morning. Yeah, I was listening to the gentleman earlier who said that, um, you know, first the first consideration is the child and the second is the school. I think all of our first consideration should be South Africa. And I don't think on the government side or this side, that is the first objective, to be honest. Um, For instance, perhaps we have to introduce a quota system into the public schools because even middle-income earners battle to afford fees of previously model fee schools. They have become essentially private schools where only people in a very high bracket can actually pay for them. Mm. So that is not good enough. And secondly, on the government side, I really do feel like as good a job as Mr. Lesufi may be doing, we really do have to focus on the unions and the effect that they have on the teaching in the poorer schools. So I feel like all around we need to focus much more on South Africa and what's good for South Africa and what's good for South Africa is leveling the playing fields in the education so that all children have an equal opportunity. Otherwise, you cannot talk about moving away from BEE or whatever else you want to say if people are playing on different playing fields 
and the ones who are getting all the advantages are obviously, we, we glibly say, give the best person the job. But of course, somebody who's been through a brilliant school and a brilliant education is the best person mm, for the job. Very often, So until yes. we level those playing fields, we cannot talk about anything else, but let's work for South Africa, all of us, the government included, because they're just as guilty as anybody else of not putting South Africa first, I'm afraid to say very sadly. Thank you so much, Rosen Durban. Alfred Ngungunzovu, good morning. Good morning, Sakina. How are you? Well, and you? Fine. Uh, morning, uh, Lisufi. Let me see. He's fine. Are you well, Alfred? I'm fine. I'm fine, yeah. Babul Sufi. Babul yeah. Sufi, uh, let me start with you. The, the, the entire country, just relax, Baba, and chillax. The entire country is behind you. Oh, thanks, bro. Now, we applaud you for the efforts that you are doing to try to thoroughly eradicate the effects of the Bantu education and to ensure that uh, there's not going to be even a remnant of such a a policy. It's said that uh, our courts today are used to protect the Bantu education, but sugar-coated in the form of the powers of SGBs. If the SGBs are perpetrating a, 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 a poor or what's called the, 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 they are being gatekeepers or whatever, at least let's, let us just eradicate these SGP things and have one government. After all, we have government, we don't have SGPs. Uh, to you, Sakina, are you there? I'm here, Alfred, but before you speak to me, when you say that government uh, should, uh, you know, take the reins and eradicate the SGBs, um, surely that means you don't understand the role that the SGB plays. Because how will government, because we want schools, schools belong to the community. So surely the community should have an input in terms of what happens at the school. It should reflect them. It should reflect their values. Thank you very much, Sakina. Let me respond to you. I've been a secretary of the SGB for more than seven years. I know exactly the role of the SGBs. I can tell you the powers, without even referring to the SASA, I can tell you the powers, the, 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 the obligations and limitations of the SGBs. All what I'm saying is, if the SGBs are going to be used by any uh, formation to, 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 to reverse the gains of democracy, of our hard-won democracy, to perpetrate the Bantu education system in a disguised manner. I'm saying if, only if that is the case, then the SDP should go. Okay. That's what I'm saying. All right. So you're saying if they are abused. But then that's a difficult one to police. But, uh, you know, let's move on because that can go on for another day. You wanted to address something to me uh, directly, Alfred? Ah, Alfred is gone. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's go to Tiriso in Ferienachan. Good morning, Tiriso. Good morning, Sakina, and good morning to the Honorable MEC. Uh, hi, how are you? I'm okay, MEC. We are fully behind you. We are of the view that uh, other than the blockages that are created by this racist institution called FEDSAS, there should be an inquiry even into other areas. Some of the areas have been raised by some of the callers. 
The issue of the composition of the management, the issue of the exorbitant fees, these institutions are even refusing to introduce African languages in their schools, and many other practices which are not in tandem with the new dispensation. We think that you're doing well, uh, and we'll support you through and through. You, you listen to the FEDSA's representative. You can hear that uh, this fellow is trying to maintain the status quo. We can't afford a two-tire education system where some schools are for the rich and mm. others are for mm. the poor. We must crack mm. it down. And I think you must be much more aggressive uh, in dealing with the issue of transformation. This is an area that has gone untapped for many years. Mm. And we can't tolerate it. After 22 years, you have institutions such as Festas, which still wants to preserve the privilege of the apartheid education. If we want quality and if we want transformation, this is the way to go. Uh, these people are creating uh, disparities. They are widening the gap between the poor and the rich in this country through the practices that they want to maintain. And we can't afford it anymore. The question of the class size, we know what they do. They use the money to create smaller class sizes. In township schools, class sizes are big. And many other disparities mm. which they want to further create in the system. That was the TDSO out in Ferienagang. Okay. Many issues raised there. We have about four minutes left, so uh, not much time. Let's get straight to it. Um, uh, Dr. Deacon, let me get you um, to respond first. You've got two minutes. Wrap it up. Uh, respond to what listeners were raising. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it's unfortunate that we are perceived as a racist organization. as We represent schools all over the country from all races, from all classes. Um, we've got members from all school communities, from all races and cultures. So in, in that regard, I don't think the listener is well informed about the work we do. And our focus is on quality education for all the learners in our country, not to protect the specific privilege. But as a citizen of the country, it's our duty and obligation to uphold the Constitution and the rule of law. So if we engage, and if we are concerned about specific things, then we need to do it in line with what the Constitution says, in line with legislation. And if you are aware of specific instances where governing bodies blatantly discriminate or break the law, let's use the Schools Act to deal with those. If we talk about bigger system problems, it's important to, to remember it's a big education system. And it's difficult to turn it around overnight, but it's important that the partners and stakeholders engage in a constructive, meaningful way where we respect one another, but where we actively listen to one another to find solutions. So we don't want to get loggerheads with either Mr. Lesufi or with the department. We need to talk about the best interest of our children in the schools, and we are committed to that. And this conversation is by no means over, and mm. we hope that the constitutional court will provide clarity. And whilst we wait, that we can still work together to resolve the issues in education. Noted. Uh, Mr. Lesufi? Thank you so much, Sakina. You know, non-racialism and transformation, those two are non-negotiable. You can delay, but you can't postpone them. And we are on the right track to change those things. Our province, under the noble leadership of our Premier David Makura, adopted a program of transformation, modernization, and reindustrialization of Gauti. 
there is no room for racist. There is no room for those that believe that only their children matters. Other children don't matter. Our children must study and play together. If that is illegal, then there is illegality in this country. If we can't promote non-racialism, if we can't promote transformation, if we can't get our education system right at both levels, don't say the education system in white area is fine. Actually, I'm fighting some of them. Because you check the metric results, there are some township schools that are performing better than even some of the former Model C schools. So no one must claim here and say there's a clear distinction that this site is bad, this site is good. There are good points on both sides, there are bad points on both sides. We must fix them both and ensure that we've got quality education that is cheaper, accessible, and can create jobs. If we can't get those three right, then we must forget of where we are. And that's the only thing that I want to respond to. But whatever that Hendrik Fervut has done, Hendrik Fervut must know, I only share that name, Hendrik, only with him. But whatever he has done, our mission is to change and ensure that education is accessible, is cheaper, and is available to all our people. I didn't know. You panyaza Hendrik Lisufi. That's it. And How? it ends there. Okay. <laughs> well, unfortunately, that is all we have time for. But, you know, very serious issues and things that need to be discussed. And uh, as Dr. Deacon says, by no means the last that we've heard of this. And this discussion will go on and we'll bring it to you here on the Forum at 8 Expanded. Maybe have more guests and, and, and get into the issues. And I must just say thank you to our guests this morning, uh, the MEC for Education in Gauteng, uh, Mr. Banyaza Lesufi, and also Dr. Uh, Yaku Deacon, who is Deputy CEO of FETSAS. Uh, FETSAS is a national body representing a school governing bodies. So um, there you have it. Thanks for the messages. Unfortunately we couldn't get to them but we'll storyify. We'll put them up on our website safm.co.za and we'll be back with you tomorrow. Until then, you have a good one. Time now for the latest news at 9 with Kumbuzile Tabete.